Hello and welcome back to the Ball in Tunes podcast. My name is Harry and today I had the privilege of speaking to the wonderful Rory Rodriguez of Dayseeker and Hurtwave, who are absolute must-listens for anyone who likes crying and synthesizers. Firstly, I just want to say congratulations on the upcoming album. It's certainly an amazing record and one you should be extremely proud of. How does it feel now that it's almost here? Uh, very weird. Very, very weird. Um, you just you spend so much time like working on something kind of in private and then by the time it gets out to like people you're just like man i hope everybody likes this <laughs> like you know like because we we spent like probably the better part of like a year um off and on like working on the album so it's uh it's like cool we, you do it that way because we we used to do it where go to like a studio and you would for like three or four weeks straight just like hammer out an album and we're lucky that our producers in LA so we can kind of just like we could go like a couple of times a week and it, I feel like as like the months went on it was like easy to go like oh you know maybe this song doesn't fit anymore or we need to change it like the title track Dark Sun is kind of like this like Paris kind of vibe but then it's like EDM and the chorus like Charlie Puth kind of and it's funny because that song it, we tried to make it like we we initially were trying to write it as like a like a dream state or a neon grave like it had like a riff and like a breakdown and we like kept writing and writing and we were like I think these like heavy parts are making the song like worse um so it's uh I guess I'm grateful we had time to sit with it because we we changed a lot of the songs like as time went on but uh it's it's cool, man. It's crazy. Yeah, but it'll it'll be out in like a couple of weeks, but I'm I'm excited for everybody to hear it. Yeah, I absolutely love the energy and the beat in Dark Sun. It's interesting that you kind of say that oh, it thanks. was riff focused originally because like to me that song feels super dancey. Like it's a proper head bopper. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Well, I think, you know, we we've always tried to target like really good pop structuring and yeah, it like it had this like it opened with like a riff like that was kind of like in a wage war sort of vein and then it had this like kind of bare toothy breakdown on the bridge and <clears throat> we just uh yeah we ended up solidifying like a lot of the vocal like a lot of the verses and the choruses and then we had these heavy parts in it and I was like I feel like it's making the song like like dumber like it like it like and when we took out all the heavy stuff we were like yeah it's like it's a cool song on its own like it, it doesn't I think we're always kind of trying to like pay homage to like our roots but then I I don't think like I just don't think like that's where we shine as a band it's like writing like breakdowns and riffs you know so um yeah I had to change that one a bit <laughs> yeah I do feel like a lot of the time in like heavy music riffs and zeros and breakdowns come across as a, a crutch a lot of the time which can kind of feel inauthentic but you guys definitely avoid that it's interesting because I haven't really been listening to so much heavy music lately and I went back to Neon Grave to prepare for this and I was actually kind of surprised at how heavy it is. Yeah. The breakdown in that song is surprisingly really thick and I feel like it's really easy to get desensitized to heavy music when it's yeah. much of what you consume. But when you take a step back, you do kind of appreciate that in the wider music world, this is like still comparatively really, really heavy. It's a, it's a cool one live for sure. It's not like, we were pretty intentional though, like, I think like Neon Grave and Dream State are like the only ones that actually have like like heavy parts in them, but we we made sure to write them like they're more like rock riffs. They're not like chuggy, you know, breakdowns or like gents or anything, you know. But I'm happy you like it, man. I appreciate it. 
Yeah, I was actually quite surprised at how soft the album is across the course of it. I think the only distorted lead I heard outside of the singles was on Afterglow. Not quite distorted, I guess, but the majority of the album is like super clean. Yeah, yeah, it it has yeah it has like moments where it peaks in. It's 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 way more of like like an alternative rock album than it is like a post hardcore. You know, like we kind of. I know it's just kind of how it ended up. I, I did end up like listening to it after we finished it. And I was like, damn, maybe we should have had like one more upbeat rock song, but it's like, it is what it is at this point. Like I, I still, I still think it's a good album, but I'm like, it, yeah, it's just, I think you just like put these songs together and then it's done. And you're like, uh, I think it was just meant to be that way. So let's just put it out. how We thought it would be. Yeah, your music has always come across as like really authentic to me and the progression has always felt really natural to me rather than, you know, selling out. So when you say that you don't want to put in there for the sake of it, that does make a lot of sense. Yeah, totally. Were you ever worried that the core community would react negatively to the sound change? I think you're always a little bit worried, but I think like we were we were really worried about like Sleep Talk before it came out and that got like pretty good feedback overall that one's it's probably like a little bit more of like an upbeat record than the new one is um but it's still like I think it was just like a nice uh reassurance that it felt like we could try different things and um like feel like hopefully people weren't gonna hate it I mean the thing too is like we didn't we just didn't want to write like like sleep talk part two you know basically so wanted to try something a little bit different but it's also we tried though we tried like there was like some songs that didn't make it on the record that were maybe like more upbeat but i don't know what it was it was just like i feel like it's so much harder to write like like original sounding or like cool new like innovative upbeat rock music like there was just times where i was just like it feels like it's forced or like we're we're trying too hard you know so i feel like this all kind of came together in a way where it was like this feels like it's more like what we listen to outside of like the genre and like there's still there's still like upbeat songs like on the album but like there's for sure like there's like ballads there's slower stuff for sure but I'm I'm hoping I'm hoping they like it we'll we'll see in a few weeks you know <laughs> was there any like specific change in your music taste or like artists that inspired you in writing this new style um can't say like big changes I, I feel like I've been like really buried in like the pop world for like years and years and like a lot of like R&B and like soul like um just like like cool like vocal runs and, and things like that um and then I feel like we just kind of really again tried to like hone like even harder onto the just like the pop structuring side of things with the music like just making it like 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 very easy to digest it's funny it's just it's very like formulaic but like there are things you can do to like make it a little interesting as the song goes along so it's like not the same thing over and over but um I don't know like a lot of uh, a lot of Kehlani um <clears throat> and I, I think too like we we leaned more into like the kind of like synth wave sort of sounds with a lot of like the synthesizer choices because I was just talking about this it's funny like I don't think that's like a super like groundbreaking <clears throat> like thing that we're doing, you know, like anybody can can write a rock song and then just use 80 synthesizers. But it's funny because like I don't feel like there's a lot of bands who are are like doing that, you know, like it feels like they still try and be like 
like creepy eerie metal core or if they're a rock band it's just like they're just a rock band. i don't know you know and it's just it's funny because people are, i think a lot of people are always just like oh like the synth choices are so cool and i'm like yeah it's a it's not that hard i don't know it's just, it's just instead of using like a piano you just you just layer it with a bunch of different things and then you get like an 80s vibe out of it and then it feels like we're pocketed into like this 80s rock kind of genre you know but i'd be surprised if like more bands did not start kind of doing what we're we're doing with the 80s things at least until it gets like played out which it might be yeah, yeah i think so much of what you have is the atmosphere that you're like able to create it's so dreamlike and it doesn't feel like the simps create the atmosphere so much as like they sit in the atmosphere yeah obviously that started with sleep talk which is also when dan became your producer mm -hmm. how much is he responsible for the simp work Oh, he's like, it's, it's crazy. He's like night and day for what, like how our music would turn out. I think it's very different with him because it's like, <clears throat> what's funny with Dan is that when, when we were on Warp Tour and it was, it was before Sleep Talk came out, but we were like kind of working on music for that, for Sleep Talk. Um, we met up with this producer uh, named Matt Squire and Matt Squire is like a, he did like Panic at the Disco's first record. Um, he, did, he did like The Used and then he went to LA to work with like, um, he did like Demi Lovato, like just all these like pop artists. And then uh, he came back into like the rock world. So he actually was really, he met up with us um, when we were in Baltimore uh, in Maryland on Warp Tour. And he, he actually was pitching really hard. He wanted to do Sleep Talk, but he, uh, we were just kind of hesitant because we, we hadn't like he was a really really nice guy but we hadn't like we hadn't really worked with him before and so we were like can we like come we had like crooked soul kind of in the chamber and we were like can we like come do like one with you and just see how it goes and stuff and he was like no he's like if you he's like if you come to me I, I want you to do the whole record so we ended up doing uh crooked soul with Dan that's kind of like a trial run and it was just like an awesome experience so but it's funny because Matt, Matt Squire at the time was like a much bigger name. And I remember like my, our management, like they supported us and because we were like, no, we're not going to go to Matt. We're going to go to Dan. And they, they were really supportive. But I remember our management telling us that there was like multiple people in the industry who was like, you guys fucked up. Like you should have went to Matt. I can't believe you didn't go to Cause I guess he like, <clears throat> he's usually really expensive and he was willing, I guess, to like lower his budget rate uh, to just to work with us. And we said no. Um, but then it's funny thinking about that. Cause like, I, I really don't feel like sleep talk would have come out the same if we had done it with Matt, um, like Dan, to, he's a great songwriter, but yeah, it's like his, uh, his soundscapes and his synth choices are just like really, really unique. Even if like we're writing like the melodies or the chord structurings, it's like, the things that he finds and that he can kind of bring to life is like really cool. And then it was funny because we kind of got the best of both worlds because on the new album, we we co-wrote uh, Without Me with Matt Squire and Dan in the same room. And, and Matt Matt was awesome to work with. Um, so it was like kind of cool. I, I think like for the next record, we're probably gonna do a little bit more of like, like more sessions together because without me we wrote without me i think in like a couple of hours and it, it pretty much stayed like very close to what it was once the song was done so yeah yeah i mean if you can get the best of both worlds why not the simps on this are immaculate as they are with hurtwave was there any songs on this that began as hurtwave songs no no um 
I think um, there's a track called Paper Heart on the album that's very like kind of um, just acoustic and ballady. I think that was like the only. Okay, I lied actually. Yeah, so Paper Heart, I initially was like. I was kind of sad in my feels uh, from a, a girl. And then that's not what the song ended up being about. But I was just, um, I wrote like the chords for the verse and stuff and the, the melody um, for the verse. Like I ended up writing like in probably like like 15 or 20 minutes when I was at home, just like on my electric guitar on clean. And then uh, I think I was kind of like, oh yeah, maybe a hurt wave thing. But I think we like, we had already put out like the first EP for Hurt Wave and I knew like we weren't we weren't really gonna get to do like new Hurt Wave music for a while. And when I was writing, I was like, this feels like a cool, like a cool kind of like mellow ballad song. So we just like brought it to Dan and I feel like we just kind of like, we were just careful with like some of the synth choices and the vibe to make sure it didn't come off like too much like a Hurt Wave song. But I guess, yeah, I lied. That, that I think that did kind of start as a Hurt Wave song and then we, just kind of reworked it with all these different choices and things and I, I feel like it ended up coming out a little more like a, a day seeker song but it's it's a thin line between the two though <laughs> you know they're more like pop synths than like outright synth wave but paper heart is my favorite song on the album by far really crazy man yeah yeah it's interesting doing these interviews and i get to i feel like everybody has like a different favorite so that's cool I, it's funny actually you're, you're the first person i've done an interview with that actually even like mention that track you know because i feel like sometimes the ballads the slow ones people are kind of like yeah like they you know they just want to they just want to get to all the upbeat stuff you know see going into it i did expect it to be like that it was the same with sleep talk i loved the balance of melody and heaviness of the singles and i did end up loving the heavier songs on the record like the color black gaze yeah. of ivory but my favorite ended up being starving to be empty like that song was probably oh, wow. one of my favorite songs <laughs> of 2019 and it might still be your best song oh man it's just a phenomenal song. Dude, thanks, man. But yeah, Paper Heart is so heart-wrenching. What was the writing process like for that? Because you say you write the melody really quickly, but the lyrics are, like, so poignant. Yeah, the, uh... Well, it's funny, is a lot of the writing for the album, like, a lot of times it's more, like, targeting the, the melody, like, what notes you're actually going to sing, and then once we like something, um, we kind of change the lyrics a lot. Because I, I, I had, like, a... We kept like a lot of, like, I think a lot of this stuff I wrote in the first verse, like stayed, like when I first wrote it in my room, like ended up being what we used, um, like on the album. And I don't know, I think it was just kind of like this, uh, just this song that I wanted to write about just feeling like really overwhelmed with a lot of like the weight that I feel I have on my shoulders with like, uh, just like the band, um, my daughter, just like a lot of things in my life that are like, like they're really good things in my life. But I think a lot of times, like I just, I, I keep a front, like I'm uh, like very composed. And even if there's something like really stressful happening, I'm like, it's fine. We'll figure it out. And it's true. Like, I, I do feel like I, like I keep a, a good head on my shoulders through really difficult things, but also just kind of like, how I'm just like I'm human like I'm not made of stone and like I'm like anybody else where I can get kind of uh overwhelmed and so it was kind of like yeah paper heart in a way it's just like it's just a way like your heart can just fold really easily in like really tough situations but about how I maybe like I don't I don't show like what's going on on the inside maybe as outwardly 
I mean, in songwriting, I do, but like in just like day to day life with people, it's probably a little more like kept up because I, I want to keep up a front like that everything's okay and yeah, everything's fine on the inside. But I think that's kind of where that one came from. Yeah, there's quite an interesting dichotomy within the album in that like lyrically it's quite dark, but it's also like really uplifting in many ways. Obviously, you have your father's passing, but at the same time, you also have Hazel coming to your life. And I think the album quite succinctly compresses the beauty of life into yeah. like mm -hmm. 40 minutes. Dark Sun as a whole deals with some very heavy subjects. And I think it's probably your most personal album in terms of feeling like it comes directly from you rather than you telling the stories of others. Did you initially set out to tell the story with this album or did you kind of like write the songs as catharsis and then we're like, oh, maybe I actually do want to share these with everybody? Yeah, I think um, a lot of times Dayseeker is like just very, uh, very deeply personal. It's funny you mention that. Yeah, because so sometimes on our past albums, I would do like perspective writing, like starving to be empty. Like I, I didn't suffer through an eating disorder, but I had a friend who did. And it's it's funny, I'm only like just realizing now that I think I wrote pretty much every song from my own experience, which is so well, thanks for that realization. because I didn't really just realize that till now. But um. Yeah, I don't know. I think it was kind of like with Neon Grave, I was kind of like, oh, okay, like I'll write that about my dad's passing and then we can kind of like move on to other stuff. And then um, there was just like so much about him passing with like the whole like dream thing. Um, there's another song where I get pretty like detailed on like what it's like watching like someone you love like die in hospice care. And it was sort of like, I just, I wasn't really able to like squeeze all my emotions into like one song. So we ended up writing like, it was like five songs on the album about my dad's passing. And then I don't know, everything else just kind of came, uh, came from there. There was obviously just like a lot of personal stuff going on in my own life. And I, cause that's a struggle sometimes too. It's like, you'll get all these songs together and you might've like great melodies in your stuff. And you're like, I don't know what to write this song about. Cause it's just like, because my life's going okay. And so, you know, I had a, you know, had a lot of things going on outside of my father's passing with obviously like my daughter Hazel being born. And then like, and then there's a song like Homesick on the record. That's more like, it's not even really, it's like kind of about my dad's passing, but it's more in general, just about like, um, like being in a really dark period of your life, but having like people and places and like experiences that make you feel like it's okay to feel like happy um again even when you're going through that because I had like a you know it was like in the days following my dad's passing it was I kind of was like wallowing in my own misery because it well it just felt good but it was also just kind of like it was like if there's a time where like I'm, I don't have to feel forced to smile or like be happy like this is probably it and people have to be understanding but I yeah I spent time with somebody like really I think like four or five days after my dad passed and we had like dinner and drinks and we talked about him dying and it, it was like very sad but then then I kind of like graduated on to just being a lot more like lighthearted and funny and and just like more brighter and more uplifting and so I was just like really thankful like that it didn't feel like that dark period was going to last like for eternity. You know, it felt like I, like it was okay to feel happy again without feeling guilty about it basically. But I don't know. It all just kind of came out, I guess. I wouldn't say like if I write a song and I feel like it's good, I, I don't really keep it for myself. I definitely just put it out like into the world, you know? So. 
Yeah, no, that's fantastic. You have Spencer Stewart featuring on Quicksand. How did that come about, and what do you feel like he brought to the song? Yeah, that was uh, that was just a very lucky uh, set of circumstances for us because we uh, we had Quicksand, and we knew that would be like kind of a it's just the way it was structured and set up. We were like, oh, this will be a really good song for like a feature on the second verse and pre-chorus kind of vibe. And it's funny. We had like, we all be, we initially actually really wanted a, a female feature actually. So we were trying to reach out to like this girl named Sasha Sloan, but she was like on tour. Like, and we, we had like a deadline to turn the album in. I think we had like two weeks to figure out a guest vocal scenario. And so I think, I think her, their camp was just basically like, yeah, she won't be home for like a month. So it's just not really going to work out. She was on tour and our like label was even saying like they knew somebody at like Halsey's camp, but oh, we wow. were always kind of like, yeah, sure you do. Um, but like, no, I'm, I'm sure they do, but it was just like the odds of getting Halsey was like, yeah, that's not going to happen. So. Well, I suppose she did work with bringing the horizon. <laughs> I know, but they're, <laughs> but they're bringing me the horizon, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. But, <laughs> Just picture to them as that's rock music. This is technically rock music, you know. Yeah, it would have been cool. It's just, um, it was funny too because then we kept like, we kept trying like so many different people that we had in mind. It was always kind of something coming up, and we we were actually really close to just not having a feature for the record. And um, my buddy, um, his name's Johnny. He he uh, he's, he plays in Bill Murray, mm -hmm. and he's basically like. Um, he he had a we were talking like months ago and he had told me that he had featured uh spencer from the band camino on his album and then i kind of was just like as a last hail mary was like do you have like his contact in but i just want to see like if he'd be interested and so i yeah just reached out to him and his management and he was um i mean he was super nice about it and he was also like i think by that point too it was literally like we had three or four days to get a feature done and i was just like hey like we all love your band and like you know, if you can get this done in the next like three or four days, like in the world. So yeah, he did. And uh, it came out great, man. I actually think it's better um, with like a male, like in a male register than it would have been in like a female register anyway. So I was happy we got him. And he just has a cool, he just has a really cool, like kind of smooth tone to his voice. And it was also, I think, just really important for us. Like we just didn't want to get like a feature from like the you know because it was like oh i get like courtney from spirit but it's like i'm sure she would have done great but it was just like we wanted to kind of grab somebody who existed in like a different genre than us you know like we didn't just want to keep it's like there's nothing wrong with like features and stuff but i feel like it's always just a lot of the same like artists just collabing with each other like over and over again and i think it's cooler if you're like oh wow i like never would have imagined like you'd get somebody in like the pop kind of world like on your album but um, he killed it, man. And we're, we, like I said, we, we all, we're like big fans of the band Camino. So we, we listened to them a ton. Yeah, it was actually quite seamless. If like I wasn't so familiar with Dayseeker, I might not even have picked out that it was a feature. <laughs> yeah. It operates very much in that same soulful, smooth tone and it fits perfectly. Mm -hmm. I'm curious though, if you could get anyone on a Dayseeker song, who would it be? Oh man, Justin Bieber or... <laughs> um. Hayley Williams, you know, just people who are probably just out of the realm of possibility. But yeah, those would be some cool ones for sure. We'll, we'll see, I guess, how the next couple of years go for us. <laughs> as a band. I actually think Justin would have done a killer verse on this album. 
Yeah, he would have. Yeah, yeah. Gotta, I gotta get in a little bit, a little bit tighter with that guy, I guess. It's been an extremely busy year for you touring wise with the Sleep Talk tour in April and May, the Australian tour with Thornhill. Uh, you've just had your headline tour and obviously the Bad Omens tour coming up. How have those been for you? Um, incredible. Yeah, just very like, I think our headliner was definitely like a very sort of like eye opening experience because we like, I don't want to say who, but we went out with a band a few years ago um, and it was their headliner and we were like coming off Warp Tour and I I really liked them. Um, like they had a really great album out and I thought they had like a ton of pop. I just felt like they had buzz and popularity and we went out on a headlining tour with them and it was um, turnout wise was really brutal for like a good five or six weeks. And I think for us, I was just kind of like, cause you know, and that was like, I think it was just before sleep talk had even come out and our, our management booking would still be like, you know, it's probably like had like, we had been a band for like, like seven or eight years and they were just like you probably headline it so just like just to say you've done it and we were just kind of like i was like dude i thought this band had a good following and they, they put out a great record and they're still struggling to pull like a hundred people at their show i was just like i just don't want to go it's just a it's like a shot i think probably to your ego you know to think like you're doing okay on support tours playing to like three or four hundred people a night and then to go headline i mean you play to like 80 people it's just you know it's definitely like a reality check so but I think um, letting like Sleep Talk kind of sit out, it was, well, it was unintentional. We, we were going to headline off Sleep Talk much sooner. Before COVID, the, yeah. And then the pandemic happened. Um, but, but I'm almost like thankful that it did because I feel like we, I just feel like we got really lucky getting the support that we did for that tour in uh, Thornhill holding absence and caskets. And I feel like one or one or two of those bands probably would not have been on it if we had done it earlier and i don't think like it would have done as well because i think too it was like we it was like shows were kind of just starting to come back so i also think that was a thing where people were kind of like desperate more eager yeah more eager to get tickets because they were just like and we were really lucky too because like um oh all the bands on our supporting tour were they were all from out of the country and it was all their first time in the states too so there was just so many people who came to catch them and uh but it was also just like i don't know it's just crazy man it's just like really really wild just seeing that many people care about your band and like singing the words back at you and so it made us feel like pretty confident moving forward like we have we have our own draw and we, we have like and now it's nice too because when you like when you do a good when you do a headlining tour and it goes well and you have like good numbers in all these markets you have like bargaining power and asking for more money um like already like we we have a few tour offers for next year and they're like we're just cool it just feels like things are kind of on the up um for us so it's um it's nice man it's it's very it's very cool and in australia too it was uh it was it was really interesting i mean we did a we did a one-off headliner and i think there was like 400 people there so it was just like really it's just cool, man. It's just cool that people care, you know, only, only took like a decade, but uh, here we are. <laughs> yeah, I feel like bands in this scene, certainly those on the more post-hardcore side, um, bands that have like genuine emotion and people can resonate to goes a long way. And you guys certainly hit the nail on the head with that one. You were alluding to future tours. You probably can't confirm any details, but considering the era tour was cancelled earlier in the year, do you guys have any plans to come back to the UK? No, I would tell you if we did. Um, it's funny too because I, 
that's been like one key thing with our management and our agent. I've been just like, so like, like we, we've already, I feel like established like ourselves in the U S and I'm like, I know we can do well on our own or, or we have value on a support package. But I'm like, we haven't as a full band. I don't think we've been, uh, to, we haven't been back to the UK since like 2015. Um, and my our our old drummer mike and i we went over to the uk like a few years ago to see architects and we booked like a one-off acoustic show in london oh wow i didn't see that yeah that was that was before sleep talk and it was still like it was like it was like over a hundred people like in this just like tiny little pub somewhere um yeah in, in uh in london but uh i really like the uk personally and i just feel like that's just like a market you know we want to get more into like hopefully getting offers for like download fest and uh just things like that but we've now i was really sad when that uh, era tour got canceled and um i've just been harping all right like, like we need because they're like yeah you got like this like this offer and like you know this time next year and this time next year and i'm like yeah but we like need to go to the uk and europe because <laughs> like it's been like cri- like criminally it's, it's just been such a long time so i'm trying we might because the whole thing is like you're trying to like wait for like a really good support slot to go over there. But I think at this point we might just like headline ourselves and then just like try and get a decent package together. Because we've talked about wanting to play like more, uh, uh, more shows with holding absence too. Because they're just like, they're just really, really, really sweet guys and a, a really great band to watch live every night. So I'm, um, I'm hoping, man, there's only a, yeah, there's a U.S. tour next March. Um, that, that'll be pretty cool and then uh we have a few like festival things in the states and then uh we're going back to australia next july with a, a really good package and then i think probably more at the end of the year but it'll be pretty busy i really do hope to get back to the uk soon though yeah we'd love to have you are there any songs on dark sun that you're like most excited to play live yeah i'm a yeah, we're, we're going to, well, yeah, we're playing Without Me and Neon Grave on the upcoming tour. Um, we're also adding uh, Dream State, which I think will be fun. And then uh, we're adding this song called uh, Crying While You're Dancing, uh, which is, um, that'll be our next single that comes out in a, God, it should be out in like two weeks or something. Or... <laughs> I was going to ask um, if you could hint at which the next single is. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, I think, I think most people like, um, if you've seen like the videos or anything it's yeah it's going to be crying while you're dancing i think it's out on i think it's out on the 28th yeah so it'll it'll be uh not this upcoming friday but the one after that um because it'll be like a week before the album drops just so it's like a little extra like push um but yeah that's like a that's a favorite of mine on the record too it's just um it's funny i don't know what it is about it because it's not really like it wasn't really like a without me or like a neon grave where I was like, Oh, this is like, like, I don't, like it's structured and written like a single single, but there was something about it when we wrote it. And I was just like, I, I'm like a really big fan of this song. And it's, I thought it's funny though. Cause I thought like our label and our management, were going to fight. Cause sometimes you're like, I think this should be a single. And they're like, no, 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 no. Like it, it should be this song. And it's uh that was an interesting one where I was like, I really feel like this is a single and everybody and like our management and label were both like, Oh, it's totally like, yeah, it's a single for sure. And I was like, Oh, cool. I thought, I thought they were going to fight me on it. Cause it's like, not like slower, but it's just, um, it's just structured kind of interestingly. Um, but 
yeah, that'll that'll be the next one in a, about a week and a half or so. Yeah, I think this is one of those rare albums where like you couldn't have gone wrong with any of the songs as singles. Yeah, it was it was tough. We had a lot of like, yeah, there was like a yeah, we had a few times where we were like, yeah, there's like there's like too many like singles to pick from, which isn't a bad thing. Like, uh, I think Homesick will be pushed as a single. Um, like a couple months after the album's out, like we might just do a video for it, and then um, but like our our management and other people felt like Dark Sun should have been a single. It was um, it got really hard at the end to like pick like which ones to put out, you know. I think it helps to be a band where I don't see people particularly fighting for a Dayseeker song to be heavy or to be soft. People just enjoy the vibe and like the emotions that you convey. Yeah. So you can kind of get away with anything. <laughs> at this point, yeah, thankfully. I know we're running out of time, so I just want to ask you one last quick question before you go. Is there any more Hurt Wave on the horizon? Not really, no. I've been kind of a... I've been playing around with a few ideas. It's funny, actually. Um, I spent like 10 minutes in a guitar center here and I was like messing around on a piano and I like already, I wrote something in like five or 10 minutes and then I was like, I need to buy a piano because I, I have a guitar and I, I'm, I'm really comfortable with guitar, but I was just like, there was something about this one keyboard I played that had like a nice like reverb and ambience. I feel like it was just more of a mood setter and I, I want to get a little bit better at piano. So it's funny. I actually, I ended up buying a, uh, it's not like a piano piano. It's like a home piano kind of thing. But um, yeah, I'm going to try and write on that a little bit more, but we, uh, we talked about like um, probably putting something out like next year, if anything, because that'll, it's like, we try and aim it for like, in the middle of like dead periods for like day seeker so like we like sleep talk got to sit out for a while and then we put out stuff for her wave and then by the time her wave was done we had a little bit of time to like start putting out new day seeker you know but hopefully uh hopefully next year man i i know i, I get asked about that a lot it's just one of those things like to me you are one of the best vocalists in the scene and with the Thanks, way you man. cut back on some of the uncleans on dark sun i don't particularly think of Dayseeker and hurtwave as that much of a separate entity anymore obviously they have different soundscapes and there's more live instrumentation but in terms of what i go to Dayseeker and hurtwave for emotionally they both hit the same and in the same kind of manner yeah they're not they're not crazy different um i mean it's the same the same producer and pr pretty much like a lot like it's mainly just me, Mike, and Dan putting the songs together in Hurt Wave, and then it's, you know, so it's same synthesizer choices, and we're all we're still kind of like trying to write pop structure in Hurt Wave too. It's just I think Hurt Wave was just songs where I was like, these are like too, they're like too slow for Dayseeker, um, so we we use those ones there. But yeah, hopefully, hopefully next year at some point. Amazing, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast and I'm really looking forward to reviewing Dark Sun, so I wish you all the best and have a good rest of your day.